The Dark Tower, a seven-book epic fantasy series by Stephen King, is perhaps his best work to date. And a Stephen King fan may legitimately completely dislike it. Seriously, that is correct. I'm here today to talk about this series. Full spoiler, let's go. Thanks for joining me. I'm Jim with Fantasy for the Ages, the show where a father and son, my son Zach, talk about fantasy, science fiction, and other nerdy things we enjoy. Today, it's just me here talking Stephen King, The Dark Tower, which Zachary hasn't touched yet. Can't really talk to him about it, but I can talk to you. I first found The Dark Tower series when um, book three had come out. That was 1991, The Wastelands. I didn't start with reading just The Wastelands. That would make me a monster. I instead looked, oh, cool, Stephen King. I'm reading a lot of his stuff, but this isn't the first book in the series. So I went back. I picked up The Gunslinger, which had already come out in 1982, but I wasn't reading any Stephen King at that point. And also picked up The Drawing of the Three, book two, which had come out in 87. So I read all three of these right away. Great trilogy. Unfortunately, The Wastelands leaves you with a massive, unsatisfying cliffhanger. So then I, like many other frustrated fans, had to wait several years for a resolution. Wizard of Glass finally comes out, book four, in 1997. Okay, at this point, the series is feeling pretty good to me. I was enjoying the heck out of it, actually. It was very different from the other Stephen King works that I had enjoyed, but still fantastic. I mean, it's fantasy now. But it's another six books until book five, while a whole bunch of other Stephen King th things come out. I mean, he's a prolific writer, and yet where's the next Dark Tower? It was getting a little frustrating. But book five comes out, Wolves of the Kala. Man, that one, my favorite to that point, it's still my favorite book of the Dark Tower series. So that's 2003 already now. And then King comes along and finishes the series with two books the very next year. Song of Susanna, followed by book seven with the very original title, The Dark Tower. Yes, it's the name of the series. It's also the name of the final book. And this is where even a fan of the series can feel like it goes a little bit off the rails. First off, we've got a pretty unique yet straightforward epic fantasy series, I think, through the first three books. Roland Deschain, the last gunslinger, is on an epic quest to get to the Dark Tower, to climb to its top, to discover what is going on up there. Apparently, the entire world is connected to the Dark Tower in some mystical manner, and at the point of our story's beginning, the world has gone to crap. Or, as they like to say, the world has moved on. Clearly, something must be wrong at the Dark Tower. Can Roland do anything about it? That's barely the point. He simply believes it is his destiny to get there and to see what's what. Roland also apparently has an arch nemesis. The Man in Black. Uh, not Johnny Cash, for those of you country fans who know about that but a man who is known by many different names. Walter Paddock, Walter O'Dim, uh, Martin, Randall Flagg, and more. There seems to be some symbiotic relationship between Roland and Walter, with Walter having magical abilities, seemingly mighty powers, 
And yet he doesn't do anything to stop Roland on his quest. Okay. You're, you're the arch nemesis and you clearly aren't Roland to stop, but you won't stop him. Instead, you just taunt him. You put obstacles in his way, but they're all things that can be overcome. He continually seems to try to get Roland to cry off the quest rather than just stopping him. As if it's Roland's ability to decide to stop that is needed by Walter, not just stopping him. So book one, The Gunslinger, it mostly just sets the stage. Though we do get introduced to a boy, Jake Chambers. A boy who will go on to be like a son to Roland. Uh, but he dies in this book. But no worries, it's fantasy, he'll be back. Book two, The Drawing of the Three, sees us bring in two more primary characters, Eddie Dean and Odetta Holmes. Eddie Dean is a heroin addict, but we'll get over that. Odetta suffers from split personalities, so she's also Detta Walker. And as pleasant and genteel as Odetta is, Detta is the complete opposite. She's nasty. But eventually, through this ordeal in the story, her personalities mostly merge, and we get a new, blended, stronger personality named Susanna. And soon thereafter, Susanna becomes Susanna Dean, as she and Eddie become a thing. As we move into book three, The Wastelands, we find Eddie and Susanna have become gunslingers, apprentices under Roland. And the three of them end up bringing another character into our story. But wait, you know him, you love him. The boy, Jake, is returned. You know, the one who died. But now he's not. This fantasy involves parallel dimensions, varied timelines, multiple variations of all the worlds. And somehow they're all tied to this one dark tower. There's not multiple dark towers, it's just the one. So anyways, Jake lives again. And Jake attracts yet another primary character, a super intelligent animal, kind of like a dog, but not, called Oi. He's a Billy Bumbler. He's extremely intelligent, more so than your average Billy Bumbler. And he's just adorable. The whole Oi element in this story is wonderful. One of the best things Stephen King did in The Dark Tower. I love Oi. Everyone loves Oi. Their quest together now for the Dark Tower leads them eventually, after many perils and challenges, to board a high-tech train that is powered and driven by an insane artificial intelligence. Yes, AI is real, and just as dangerous as some of you think. And this one's called Blaine. Blaine the Train. And Blaine is taking them toward the Dark Tower. Unfortunately, he's going to kill them all, because... Like I said, he's insane. He's challenged into at least giving them a chance by playing a riddle game. And if they can ask a riddle that stumps him, they win. And he won't kill them. The book ends in the midst of the game. We don't get a conclusion. But it's not looking good. Okay, so it's still pretty awesome epic fantasy at this point. Book four, Wizard and Glass, does resolve the cliffhanger. Very satisfyingly, I must say and then continues the journey to the tower, but they end up spending like half the book in a flashback, as Roland, after many requests, finally does tell his group, his quartet, they are known as now, he tells his backstory, 
how he got started on his quest for the Dark Tower. At least he tells most of it. He'll get to a little more of it later, but most of it takes up half this book, at least. And some people just can't stand that this book, so much of it, does not advance the story. We're just going back gobs of years to see Roland as a teenager. Personally, I love this part of the story. I think the backstory makes for a great story of its own. It's one of my favorite sequences. We get fantastic insights into Roland's character. And honestly, it is just great to see him as a teenager. Stephen King writes this really well. Roland as a teen is not just Roland in a younger body. He processes different. He thinks different. He reacts differently. He's just young in so many realistic ways. Uh, well done, Stephen King. When all is said and done, though, we get that whole story. We finally finish book four. We move into book five, Wolves of the Kala. Most of this story is a side quest, as our quartet, Roland, Jake, Eddie, Susanna, and the Billy Bumbler, Oi, they spend time in a town that is a bit like a rural farming village out in the wild, wild west. And this town has a problem. They've come and asked them to help solve the problem. And in solving the problem, they also have to decipher a mystery. This is a great story just of its own. I really enjoyed this tale. One of the things that this terrific story does is it brings into the Dark Tower a character that I'd read in a previous book, Salem's Lot, Father Callahan, whose story in Salem's Lot ends in disgrace, comes back into this story, and it's the same guy. It's Father Callahan from that vampire story, somehow actually here. And you do eventually get to learn and understand how he ended up here in Calabrin Sturgis. It's, it's fun. It's wonderful. But Callahan isn't just, oh, a character we recognize. He becomes a significant part of the story. He actually becomes part of their quartet for a while. And he'll actually continue with them beyond this book. But this is also a story that begins to derail the Dark Tower for some people as they read it. Because there's a side plot. And the side plot is that Susanna is pregnant. Now, we've had hints before this book that she was pregnant. And the pregnancy goes back to how they brought Jake Chambers into the world. And I'm not going to go into all of that. But this pregnancy is not the result of her and Eddie. It's result of some diabolical means. And this is not a normal pregnancy. And it's also triggered seemingly yet another new personality in Susanna. Mia. And Mia is completely dedicated at whatever the cost in protecting the unborn child that you can't even see after a while. Like Susanna starts to look pregnant slightly and then it kind of disappears. But she's still pregnant in some weird, strange way. Just after the climax of the story, Susanna disappears. She has allowed Mia to take over her body. Kind of had made a deal. It's part of the climax again. Don't need to get into it. Just say it's complicated. Mia travels through a mystical door that they had found in this story to go to another world in order to have her baby. Our group is going to need to follow to save her and stop whatever is going wrong. But the story ends with that unresolved. Again, a cliffhanger. But if you remember from what I said earlier, they only need to wait a year 
The next year we get book six, Song of Susanna. Yes, we're going to resolve all this. No, we won't. This book is crap. <laughs> Compared to the rest of the series, this is by far the weakest. It is my least favorite. And pretty much every Dark Tower reader I've talked to has agreed this is their least favorite story. It's not that it's pointless. It's mostly just set up for book seven. But there's a whole bunch of things from book five and earlier that could be resolved that it doesn't. It just toils through and muddles along. It's frustrating. A lot of it's not that significant. <laughs> the story raises the prominence of the Crimson King, for example. We've had him alluded to it multiple times throughout the Dark Tower books. He will ultimately find will be waiting at the Dark Tower. But he's no big thing in the end. It just kind of resolves. And also, we will not have that in this book. <laughs> That's going to be in the next book. We have a bunch of additional happenings in New York City and up in Maine. And we get direct interaction in Maine with the author of this book, Stephen King. Yes, the author actually writes himself into the book quite thoroughly, significantly, meaningfully, and even somewhat unflatteringly. But the biggest issue with the book is that next to nothing, again, gets done. Nothing is truly resolved. Things get pretty crazy, but that just gets more frustrating than fun for a lot of readers. So while I'll acknowledge that Song of Susanna was definitely better on the reread that I just did than the first time I read it, where I really didn't like it, again, it's really just all primarily set up for the final book. It feels a little bit like a time waster. If people feel like King had fallen short at this point, they have some legitimate gripes. But finally, we get to book seven, also called The Dark Tower. So yes, the series and the last book. Again, same name. Everything gets resolved here. Susanna has her baby, but really it's Mia who has the baby, whom we learn here isn't actually part of Susanna's mental illness at all, but is actually some sort of demon who had hitchhiked along in Susanna's body. The child, Mordred, initially adorable, very quickly turns into a spider-like creature and eats his mother. Sucks her dry. Apparently Mordred is some sort of half-human, half-spider lycanthrope. Another key resolution in this book is the removal of everyone of significance from Roland. Father Callahan, he dies heroically in a battle against vampires, saving Jake. Eddie dies by gunfire after a battle that they won against overwhelming odds, but they managed to win it. And then one of the guys that's dying, they think he's already down for the count, gets one last shot off, sucker shot, and kills Eddie. Although he lingers for days. It's brutal. Uh, Jake dies a little later on, saving Stephen King's life. Yeah, back in Maine, because Stephen King was being an idiot. Really? Susanna doesn't die. Yay, but she gets to leave. She gets to go back to her own world through a door, a magical door, where she gets to reconnect with a different version of Eddie because she's just been so grief-struck that her husband's gone. And oh no, she gets Eddie again. And he somehow recognizes her, knows that she's meant for him, even though they've never met before. It's weird. And even Oi dies saving Roland from his spider son 
who then is killed very easily by Roland, and that whole plot line just kind of seemed to serve the purpose of killing Oi. It's like, what? That was pointless. Oh, and because he can't. Stephen King throws in one new primary character along the way just before Susanna and Oi exit stage right. And that's a boy named Patrick. He's someone they rescue. They find that he has been held hopelessly captive. He's been tortured and mutilated for years, untold years, including his tongue has been torn out. And he has a special ability. Magic. He can draw things into reality. The boy doesn't know he can do it. No one knows it. They discover it. He also can erase things from existence. Paper, pencil, and a little eraser is all it takes. Okay, that's some pretty powerful magic, but what the heck? Why are we introducing this halfway through the final book of the series? Well, we find out it's for a little deus ex machina because we get to the tower and there's the Crimson King. He's up on a balcony in the tower, ready to, you know, throw sneeches at them, make everything hor horrible, make it impossible for Roland to complete his quest. So he has Patrick draw him and then erase him. And it erases the Crimson King. Almost. A tiny touch of humor. He runs out of eraser before he can get rid of the eyes. So the eyes remain. Yeah, just floating orbs stuck on the balcony. They can't do anything. They can't say anything. They're just floating eyeballs. So Crimson King goes out like a punk. And then finally, finally, the big finish. First, with Roland in the Dark Tower, he's walked in and Stephen King, as the author writing the book, says, you might want to stop here. Here's your happy ending. Roland has achieved his quest. Susanna is back with Eddie Dean. They're going to have a happy life, reconnect with Jake. Everything could be wonderful. We don't really need to know anything else, do we? Yeah, nobody ever stops there. So then you read on and you get to experience Roland going up through the tower. He makes it to the top of the tower. The mystery is solved. There's no one there. But there is a door. A door that Roland feels a compulsion to open. And it's a magic door like so many others we've seen. But this one, the compulsion is so strong, Roland cannot stop. He doesn't want to go through this door, but he has to go through this door. And as he goes through, he knows what's happening. He suddenly remembers everything. And we see him walk through the door into the exact same setting where the gunslinger book one began. And as his memory of this whole experience starts to fade away, the one thing Roland is thinking is, maybe this time it will be different. What? <laughs> Some fans were so mad when this happened the first time. Basically, there's no resolution. Ka, we learned, is a circle. It's a wheel. It just keeps going around and around and around. And that's what's happening to Roland. When he gets to the tower and he finally resolves it, it all starts over again. And he's stuck in a helpless, a hopeless time loop. <laughs> Fulfilling his destiny of never accomplishing anything. Oh my goodness. So we readers, after investing time into seven books, a short story, and a novella, discover there's no end to the story. Nothing resolves yet. Just get a reset. Brilliant? Infuriating? Both, maybe? 
Readers get to decide. But hey, if you don't end up caring for it, that's fair. But I will say a reread, you know, begin the story again, just like Roland has to, it actually does make the story exceedingly better. If you've read this only once, before you ever consider doing a reread, I would recommend that you've made sure to read a bunch of other Stephen King books. There are some particular ones that will help you get the most out of The Dark Tower. So while you can read it without ever touching any other Stephen King books, you'll have a richer experience if you hit a few of the others. In particular, I'd recommend you need to read Salem's Lot, It, The Stand, and Hearts in Atlantis. Those are the, the must-reads, in my opinion, to get the most out of The Dark Tower. Other books he wrote have references to this story as well. So if you read The Shining, Black House, Eyes of the Dragon, Insomnia, and Cell, you'll catch a lot more of the references. You'll understand what's going on at a deeper level. Those last ones, uh, they're just extra texture. It's the first four that I really strongly stand by. It helps a ton to have read those. The Dark Tower remains one of my favorite works of Stephen King, flaws and all, and is a very creative work of epic fantasy by a master storyteller. But that's just me. That's my opinion. If you agree with me, you are 100% correct. And if you disagree with me, you might also be correct. Literature is subjective. It's part of what we love about it. Okay, that's what I have. Don't forget to like and subscribe, people. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you next time.